0: Welcome to Doc Talks brought to you from Nerdworks Media. Welcome back to Doc Talks, where I doc talk. To everyone who came out yesterday for episode three of Bros and Dragons at Nerdworks Media Twitch. I want to say thank you. I really, really want to say thank you. It means so much to have that support. The fact that you want to hear my storytelling, that you want to see my players and their story and what they have with my world building and how they do it, and, and, or even if you're there to root for the misunderstood people and the quote unquote bad guys, it means a lot. Being creative is my outlet. It's something that I love to do. I served in the military for a while. I I did go overseas, and with everything that's going there, this is a really good thing for me to continue to write, to create, uh, to be. And I am so happy to have an outlet where I can have that with you as well. If you don't know, on Monday nights, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 Mountain, 7 Central, 8 Eastern, we do Bros and Dragons, a continuation. The first two are still in podcast form, seasons 1 and 2, you could still listen to them in podcast form and I'm uploading them to the Nerdworks media site as we speak. Well not right now, but I mean in general. But storytelling is my outlet and, and a lot of people have different outlets. I create, I want to create. Whether it's storytelling, um I do a lot of woodworking, which you guys will hear more. I play Magic the Gathering, which I got another Loth and Tiamat recently in polls and, Poles, and it's about creativity it's what nerdum is for me i'll do a doc talk on that some other day but i really want to get to what we got came here for which is the druids so in this series we're covering how to play D. if you go all the way back to the beginning we talk about how to start character sheets what it means what each one of the skills mean we don't just tell you what to do to get involved but we give you descriptions and tell you what things mean if i miss something and you go back Let me know again. Doc Talks is in podcast form as well. Yeah, let's jump into Druids. I do again. I just want to say thank you guys for coming out. It was amazing. I love to be supported in what I do, and I'm sure everybody does, and it's awesome. And by the way, you heard me say misunderstood people and the quote unquote bad. I think it's important in D and D if you're going to make even an evil aligned character that you don't fall into that premise of stereotypical evil. But to be more morally ambiguous on what's going on, to be not evil in the sense of I have a scheme and tell my plans, muhaha, but evil as in, I would say more selfish for the world. It doesn't matter what happens to the world as long as my needs are met kind of way of thinking. But just keep that in mind. I don't like to be straight up evil. There's only one straight up evil thing in my entire world that I've built and it's been fought many times and that is the demon god demos. So today though we're not going to jump into that we're going to jump into the mystery of the druid. In fact it's really funny as i think about this series and getting to druid when it comes to people asking me questions about how to play or what to play and things like that a lot of people love the idea of druid and they start druid but it's one of the classes that a lot of people come to me because they're confused on how to play druid like it doesn't make sense to them and I, I can't believe it took me this long, because we're going to hit some of that today. And it's not like, there's not one way to play druid. Druids are as faceted as clerics, as bards, and we will jump into that. In fact, when you talk about the differences, they're different in Faerun as they are in Redigan, which is now the Bros and Dragons podcast. Even the Druids in the round-capped rainforest are more strict than, like, the Druids of the Remedican Plains or the Druids of Adeshmira Forest. So, when we talk about this diversity in Druids, we have to keep that in mind. So, when I started playing, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit, in 2E, uh, Druids had a super strict code. Super... their, Their guidelines were stricter than anybody else for leveling, for class features. It was funny because it was like an XP dump, like... You guys know the progression of XP. Well, it had a few of those, and we're talking millions, if I remember right. In 5e, it's more guidelines for you and your game, so we're going to talk about that. Again, when we talk about things, I try to start with the, historically speaking, so historically there are really two historical types of druids. First are the healers of the time, Uh, since they had to be students of nature and know what plants were and go out and be herbologists before it was ever a thing. They had to know what roots and herbs and plants did to create medications, to create um, uh, antitoxins, to be medical. Then there's the savages druids or the druids of the forest as it was like in during Roman times. More specifically uh, the British Isle where a lot of the druid mythology comes from fierce fighting folk very spiritual one with the land um and and there's no right or wrong in that by the way because when we talk about druids some people come to me with merlin the tv show or the Shannara uh, chronicles the books druids were just magic users in each one of those um and more powerful and and different things in D, for the most part druids are granted power from nature they are magic users that get power from nature i as a dungeon master storyteller make this a for me more power from gaia gaia is a a real thing the essence of the planet is a real living soul the planet itself gives the druids their power i call this and and what people see this is the old faith practice of druids as time goes on DD grows and as it grows we have to adapt and as it adapts we have to do what we have to Depending on the druid, on the druid, you could do the old faith practices very easily. You can easily serve a specific god as a druid without being a cleric as well. You're, or even just use your dev- devotion to nature. Again, in my lore, whether acknowledging or not, it's the planet giving them uh, different powers. Depending on a druid, though, your tenant is a little bit easier to manifest that your character understands and preserves the delicate balance of nature to exist. That, that is it. The fundamental tenet of that is all druids, no matter where they play, have this one fundamental thing, is to understand and preserve the balance for nature to exist. Now, are they more worried about the sustainment of animals and planet, plant life over civilization, Or do they add civilization as part of the balance of everything? There's no right way to play a druid. There is old ways of playing druids, but there's no right way to play a druid, especially today in 5e. Most druids, though, are a little bit like... They want to preserve the balance, but they will protect nature and animals over over civilization. But it depends on your druid. It depends on how we want to play our druid. That's what it all comes down to. Druids are, for the most part, communal. They exist together where everyone provides something to the community and they exist together. Now, this is the mythology of Prime. And when I say Prime, the material plane is multiverse. This is an accepted practice in D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, but more specifically from Wizards of the Coast and their mythology. The main planet, or the place of Faerun, is called Material Prime. In Material Prime, they exist together. In redigan they exist in the rainforest together. Other druids are different. But if you're playing it like it is, again, communal, everybody participates to the community. Druids are, like most animals, very territorial. Though most don't... Um, they, they don't even, most people don't even know this. Uh, they pass through their, the area. They're being respectful to the nature. They're not posing a threat to the commune. They're not even going directly at the commune. That's not the territorial. They won't do things against them, but they'll lead a raid on somebody that's attacked their forest, that something has done there. And they do not know the difference between good or bad. Most druids are right on that neutral line. It's all about the balance, not what's good, what's bad, what's good for people, what's bad for people, what the right thing or the wrong thing is to do. To them, the right thing is literally preserving the balance. Druids and Lore are also guardians of powerful or unspoiled areas of nature. They will pass this, this guardianship down that they have of these areas to apprentices So they would usually have somebody in Apprenticeship. Or if you want to play your character like this, you probably were the Apprentice that just got handed off this duty. And you could talk to your DM about having this person that you can go back and talk to. Or now trying to find somebody and have some kind of connection. DMs, don't be too stingy. Learn to say yes to some of your player's stuff. I'd say before you even start making your druid, you need to know what kind of connection you're going to have to nature what called you to become a druid. The cool part about druids is, even in the old ways, druids weren't born into a druidic society. You don't need to come from a line of druids. In fact, in my games, I really do encourage people that are children of druids to find a different path. Or, If you're going to play a druid, come from somebody who's not a druid or play it however you want. But I encourage this because I love the fact that being a druid is a choice that someone makes, not something that's passed down or made to be. You do need to decide some things right off the bat and try to maintain it. One is... And this only helps depending on what kind of druid you're going to play, but you need to decide if you're going to be a meat eater or omnivore or you're going to be fully vegan. Neither one's wrong, but that mentality is going to help you decide what kind of druid you're going to play, what kind of background or or personality your druid is going to start with. And again, character development is a thing. As time goes on, these things do change. Ask your dungeon master if you're unsure about the land that you're playing in. Every table is different. Do not surprise your dungeon masters or your storytellers. In fact, this is the truth about all games, is when you create your character, make sure that you understand the story of what you're going into. Have something so you can be immersed. You should not be learning about the world as you're playing the game. Usually the hardest part of playing a druid is why they would be with the party. Why are they adventuring? I'll give you some of my tips, but it is a very difficult question to ask why a druid would be part of a party, especially early on when they're fighting, like, simple things, the small buildup in a campaign. Usually, I like to link them to some uh, one of the other players who's playing not a druid. In fact, opposites attract kind of thing. I played a fighter in a campaign, and I originally set it up where the druid was a friend because of a common thing that happened i don't want to ruin it because one day i might play in that uh, might use it again depending on what happens those that are involved kind of understand that but it would be why i was with the party or why that druid was with the party if they're not linked this way another thing that i do is how is what they're doing protecting the land or the balance of nature I think Druid's very difficult because you really have to have these questions in order as you start playing. Or you have to be really good at retconning. One of these two has to happen. For the most part, your Druid is going to be a support character of some kind. But when you get into subclasses, you can make those support roles or even roles a little bit more specific. And like I told you before, Druids can be anything. Frontline, casters support healers there's a ton going on here something fun i encourage most druids at least in my world to do is pick up something pick a plant or an animal specifically that is sacred i'll work on them to decide again it's my world i designed it but this is important to have and very unique and it will help you build your character of a druid believe it or not there are druids that don't have these connections too Let's talk about Waffle. If you've been paying attention to Bros and Dragons, one of the new players, Hannah the DM, is playing a character called Stroop Waffle. She is a druid. She's trying to make it as a business person in the world. She wants to cook. She cooks with all types of plants and herbs. That's where the connection was. Fruits, vegetables, etc. She has a secret. We haven't got to that yet. And that secret is the what joins her with Gaia. It hasn't come into play. I don't want to talk about it too much. One day she wants to own a Waffle Hut. She is awkward in the introvert, extrovert, controversy talk. But for the most part, she's fine around people. Good with, mostly good with groups. And has been an awesome, awesome player, character, and story mover in the campaign. As always, we're going to start off with something ever, what all druids have like we did what all clerics have when we talk about this because the subclasses are so diverse you have to remember that there's always this one thing that you have or these things but when you go to play a druid i really encourage you not to worry about you're, you've got to be more worried about frame of mind than anything else, and I would have a circle picked out that you're going to go for. If it changes because circumstance and role play, that's fine, but have an idea where you're going. This, what we're going to do today, is just give us the breakdown of what a druid, or all druids, have at their ability right off the bat. I do appreciate those that, that got in touch with me about the clerics. Apparently there was a bunch of stuff that people were missing on accident. I will tell you, don't ever be ashamed of that. I've been playing for 30 years and I'll create a character and I will miss something in my creation. Mostly because I wasn't looking for it, but I, I am as guilty as the next person of not going over my characters enough to understand them or to just make sure that I got anything. Every druid starts with proficiency in light and medium armor as well as shields. Now, it's going to be in there that, you know, druids don't use metal. I'm going to encourage you to see that as a guideline. Druids can be whatever the world makes of it, and if you're talking about a balance of adding civilization into the balance of nature as part of nature, metal's going to be part of it. But, if someone wants to play more traditionally, it's on the DM to do something. Make sure you have something in there that won't make them be lacking of, what they want. You can make it a little bit more expensive. I'll give you a tip. It's something that people have been using for years. I don't remember where it started, but I will give you a little bit of the lore of it. It's Ironwood. Ironwood is amazing. It is a wood. It is a tree. It grows. It really is a thing. It is a fantasy get-out-of-jail-free card for people that want to play more traditionally or even a character. I've had people in the past play where they were allergic to metal. This is a good thing for them. It is a wood, but it's not woodworked. It's forged. It has properties like metal, though it is wood. It cannot be harvested. It needs to be found, felled on its own from nature, dyed. And the workers of this material, if you want to really get into the lore of it, at least in my campaigns, you would have to have two proficiencies, and that's woodworking and blacksmithing. The point is, allow your characters to have the full potential that there can be. And when it comes to druids, if they're trying to be more traditional, work with them. Allow these to be things that they have in their world. The weapons, they're way more specific, probably more specific than most other weapons. But clubs, daggers, darts, javelins, maces, quarterstaffs, scimitars, sickles, slings, and spears. I wish I was kidding. That's in the book. That's how they're listed. If you want to pick up bow and arrow, you know, you get the elf. You have to find the combination of things that you'd want. For the most part, most druids don't use a lot of weapons. and When they do, they're made of wood because the druid has, like, shillelagh at their beck and call. Uh, It's a spell. I can't remember. I think it's a cantrip, actually, but it is spelled, like where you cause a wooden weapon to have damage properties, different properties. Make sure that these are available to your player as they talk about them. So if they want to pick up, like they start, they don't start with anything ranged, have darts available to them, have other things. We'll we'll get into downtime here in a little bit, which I wanted to touch on a little bit today. Just make sure that they're available in your world. They do not need to be rare. Try to stay away from making things absolutely too rare. I never understood that personally, but people do what they want to do. I do remember uh, Druid and 2E. I think it was funny that in 2E, to go up a level, you needed to be trained. So you could be sitting on a level forever until you find somebody who could train you. You couldn't go up your level. Uh, You also gain proficiency in an herbalism kit. And I get this question a lot is what you could do with an herbalism kit. Page 187 of the Player's Handbook talks about downtime rules. Dungeon Masters, Storytellers, give your players some downtime to do some downtime stuff. They like to create as well. An Herbalism Kit comes traditionally with everything that you need to make a potion or a remedy. Specifically in the Player's Handbook, it talks about making antitoxin and potion of healing. Now, It tells you how, what you need, how much you need. It even talks about it. It's under crafting, not specifically this, but I wanted to bring that up because it's kind of where it's located. You can look up those rules, adapt them. I have charts that I've learned over the years, but that's from years of playing. There's no right or wrong way to do it, but if you're doing rules as written, yes, an herbalism kit can be used to make antitoxin or potions of healing. And just remember DM, storytellers, GMs, whatever you're going to call yourself. I'm going to say Dungeon Masters from now on. Your players want to create as much as you create. And this downtime is always a way for them to do it. It can be something as simple as nothing happens for three months. What did your character do? And then you could discuss it and put it into your, na- into your game. Don't be too stingy, but don't let them get out of control. It's always been my, my bit of advice to all Dungeon Masters. All druids speak druidic. Read and write and speak. It is a secret language of the druids. You can use it to leave messages, and without magic, it can't be deciphered. And um, even to see the marks that you make in this secret language needs a DC-15 wisdom perception check. That's just to even notice it, so you have to be looking anyways, and somebody with a higher passive perception might see it if they pass by it. But then again, there's always the cover rules to this as well. I like that it can't be deciphered unless it's with magic. All druids are divine casters. You have the ability to... You will get two ninth level spells, much like the clerics. A druid out of spells is not useless like a cleric. And I don't mean useless like a cleric. I mean like a cleric. When they run out of spells, they're not useless. In fact, they have more in this class with options than the cleric has. All druids gain wild shape, and simply put, twice a day, for as many hours equal to your druid level, halved, rounded down. I know that's weird. It's in the book. You can look it up at any time. You could change into an animal, and the rules are that you've experienced, that you've seen, that you've seen in nature, that you've seen DMs. I wouldn't go crazy and be like, you could be anything that you want to be. I would... I still require my druids to have a reason to see that animal, but that's a personal opinion. All tables are different. But if you let them have access to everything, uh, even within the rules of this, it gets a little out of hand. And the less that you have, the more that your player can be prepared to be that animal. During this transformation, there are limits. Depending on your level... You have a certain CR level that you can go to for the creature. And then they have other limitations like no flying, no swimming, but those get relieved as well as you go up. And again, DM dependent. There's a lot of advantages and disadvantages to doing this because while wild-shaped, you have a new AC and hit point is, is the average hit point to the animal that you just turned into. This allows you to have a bigger pool of hit points. It's not a downside, but know that when that animal's hit points gets to zero, you turn back into your regular form, and any damage that that animal took, now that extra damage that wasn't associated with getting that creature to zero, now goes to you in your new form. During this, you're always going to have your intelligence, your wisdom, and your charisma. You also retain all of your skills and saving throws. The exception to this There is an exception, is if the creature that you turned into has a higher bonus for a skill that you share, that you both have, you get to use their proficiency instead of yours. One of the downfalls early on is you can't cast spells in this form, but concentration does not break. So you can cast a concentration spell and then wild shape and that concentration spell still exists. It follows the same rules of concentration to break it and stuff like that. You choose, this is cool, if your equipment falls to the ground or transforms with you. I want to be clear. (laughs) If you have a cool DM, you can choose differently every time. If you have a good DM, they're going to make you choose on the first time and then that will be consistent for the story. When it comes to having stuff that may or may not work, With the creature you're turning into. Armor, weapons, stuff like that. Your equipment can, if it's worn, rings... Again, if it's worn. That's the the key here. The equipment is DM prerogative, but if it could be beneficial, your creature can still use it. It's up to the DM, though, and that all depends on that table. And hopefully you have a good relationship with your DM, your Dungeon Master... And you can talk about this stuff and have it very clear before you even get started. It's a lot of fun to Wild Shape. You do get very little of them. They only go for X amount of time. But it is a good strategy. But like I tell you, there are some character types that have a lot more to them. This one has a lot more options to it. So just be very careful with that when it comes to playing this character. Or this character type, excuse me. There's a big section about Wild Shape. I would read it over. Me going into it, we would go over (laughs) today, and I don't want to do that. Go read it. Every druid gets improvements in their Wild Shape, like I told you, at 4th and 8th level. Uh, At 4th and 8th level, the CR of a creature that you, you can turn into goes up. The limitations of no flying, no swimming go down and go away. You have to pay attention to that. You have to know. Be prepared. This is one of the cool things about limiting yourself to animals that you're familiar with. Because you could talk to your DM. And there's a lot of charts out there for the CR levels. You can look them up very easy. Every druid at 18th level, if you get that far. And we talk about this a lot. If you get that far, every druid... Get something called beast spells now this is the exception to wild shaping and not casting spells you gain the ability to cast spells at 18th level but only ones that have somatic, somatic or and or verbal components so either verbal or verbal and somatic or somatic but you cannot use material components at this level and you can't use a spell focus at this level either it is only spells that have somatic and verbal components dm dependent but i will say that i encourage dms not to go too far from this because at 18th level especially there's a lot they can do with this information and and do with this that would not necessarily break the game but wouldn't be What's the word I'm looking for? Wouldn't be, I'm going to say fair to the other players. It puts a little bit more into their category. But I'm also the guy that tells you not to make drinking a potion a bonus action. Because, well, commodity is important. At 20th level, if you make it that far, the cool part is unlimited wild shape. Your druid can be a powerful component to a team. And some of these are going to be what you wouldn't think of. We will touch on why wildfire druid could possibly be the best healing kind of druid. It also depends on the game and what's going on. Again, remember limitations, never surprise your DMs. But know that a druid doesn't have to be one thing. But if your DM plays that druids are one thing, like a traditional value druid, just have that conversation before you get started. It's very important that you know the limitations of what you're trying to make. And to know if you're going to have fun at the table. How are you going to have fun at the table if you're limited to what you want to do? If you're limited to your practices? If you're limited to... if If you limit what you wanted to play the Druid for in the first place. These come from conversations and honest, open conversations. Do not talk to your DM to try to convince them. Talk to your DM just to understand... They might need some convincing, but be smart enough to know when to do that and when to understand that it's just got to be a thing. Love one another, keep it nerdy, and live your dreams. Later! This has been a NerdWorks production.